Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And welcome once again to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 124. Well, hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. Very special one with Jimmy Dunn. Make sure you check that one out. Remember, there's going to be episodes every day this week. If you're not following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I recommend you do that. That's where I'm announcing the upcoming guests. For example, if you're following along, you'll know that tomorrow's guest is Brad Faxon, PGA Tour winner, Ryder Cupper, Fox Golf analyst, and he's also Roy McIlroy's putting coach. So make sure you tune in tomorrow for the Faxon episode. But today, our guest is J.C. Deacon, head golf coach at the University of Florida. How did he get to Gainesville? Well, grew up in Toronto then played college golf at UNLV of all places. He was a teammate of Ryan Moore's. He was a semifinalist in the 05 U.S. Amateur, then played a little bit of professional golf, then got back into coaching as an assistant at UNLV, then got his own D1 head coaching job at Florida. Quite the journey. This is a great episode. Hope you enjoy it. Let's not waste any time. Coach Deacon, welcome to the back of the range, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, Ben. Looking forward to it. Well, we uh, our new reality here is to kind of uh, let the listener know when this episode is recorded because of the reality of the world we live in with the coronavirus. So it's uh, yeah. it's Thursday, March 19th, where I guess this is kind of the first full week since PGA Tour, college golf, everything is basically shut down. Uh, yeah. what's, what's your day to day looking like right now for this week? Uh, it's, it's pretty tough to be honest. Um, I, I love to work and, uh, I love my job as my players know. Uh, I love being there from sunup to sundown with them and, uh, helping them chase their dreams and, and see how good, a, good we can, uh, we can get our team to be, but, uh, that is obviously all changed. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot more important things out there than golf, but, uh, you know, golf is, our world and my world. And, um, but, uh, it's nice. There's, there's some good things that have come out of it. I think, uh, all of us who are in the business have to travel a ton between recruiting and competing and, and all the different places we have to be. And I've got a, a two-year-old at home and a five-year-old and I'm getting to be a full-time dad from <laughs> sun up to sundown now. So that's, uh, that's been neat for me to, to see them on a day-to-day basis and, um, you know, just get to see what, uh, what they do all day. What, uh, how are you communicating to your players? Um, and obviously we'll get into the, you know, when the decision was made for the NCAA to suspend spring sports, which obviously includes golf. So no conference championships and no national championship, but you obviously have communication with your players. Yeah. What, what are you trying to convey to them as to what they should focus on right now with, you know, they maybe some have access to golf, some don't have access to golf courses. You know, what are what's kind of your communication to them, just for a mindset perspective? Well, I think the first thing is that they need to they need to stay on top of their schoolwork. I think that's probably the easiest thing that they could let slip right now. Um, they're still responsible for that and need to do a great job. You know, every everything that we do in our program, we try and get our guys to do it at the highest level, and academics is is right at the top of that list. So making sure. Um, they get up in the morning and take care of their responsibilities first. And then, 
Um, after that, everyone's situation's kind of different. Um, you know, we've most of our guys have gone home. Uh, we have a couple international players who are from some countries that are really struggling with the coronavirus right now. Um, so that that's been difficult navigating that. But uh, um, you know, I, I think every every situation's a little bit different. But we we've got a a way to check in with every player daily. Um, just to make sure we know where they're at, that they're healthy, that they're eating right, doing all those things. And, and most importantly, they're staying safe and, and keeping those around them safe. So it's definitely a new reality and, and uh, pretty scary in, in some aspects. But, uh, you know, when it comes to golf and our guys, uh, I, I just don't ever really have to, you know, hammer them or, or get on them about practicing they their their goals are so high yeah and um their their dreams are you know bigger than mine and and uh, so i don't ever have to worry about them putting in the time or or uh, staying on their golf they they do that on their own it's usually us making sure that they do the, all the other stuff well that's good to hear um at some point later on down the line in this episode i definitely want to talk about when you communicated to your team that their season was over but before we do that, we, we have something very serious that we have to talk about. Even, you know, I mean, it's right up there with what we're dealing with right now. But um, you're, um, you're Canadian. I mean, what, I mean, we, we have to address that. Um, I'm just kidding. So, but no, I want to know. I mean, you're a native of Toronto, Ontario, Canada that ends up playing yep. college golf in Vegas and then coaching in the universe at the University of Florida in Gainesville. So, that's a little bit of a unique one for this podcast going from Canada to Vegas to, to Gainesville. So let's get back to where things started. Um, tell me a little bit about getting into the game as a player. I know you played professional. I know you played professionally in, in on the Canadian tour. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you get, get into the game where it seems like hockey is the birthright, but you start off with golf. I, uh, my older brother, Jeff, um, we were, we were as close as could be growing up. He's, he's, uh, four years older than me, but we did everything together. And, uh, so, I mean, as soon as I could walk, he had me playing hockey against him. That was, you know, I was always his competition at home, so he didn't have to do it on his own, but, uh, okay. we, we, we played a ton of hockey from the day, you know, the earliest days I can remember. I, I had a hockey stick in my hand and, um, you know, that, that's what I loved. I still am the most passionate fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs and, uh, hockey's hockey's definitely the closest sport to my heart for sure. But, uh, uh, my, my brother and my dad wanted to pick, pick up golf. And I think I was about five and I was a right-handed hockey player early on. So, uh, the golf swing just, you know, it's different than a slap shot, but there's some similarities there. I think you use some of the, the same power structure and, um, I just, it was easy for me for whatever reason. And, uh, I remember I made my, my dad took me up to this little par three course and I made a birdie on the 15th hole. Um, I think I like scuzzed a driver down there that rolled up there to two feet and, <laughs> and my, my brother being the competitive guy that he was made me, made me putt it. He wouldn't give it to me, but I made, I made the birdie putt. And, um, I just, that, that moment I fell in love with the game and, um, was playing it, you know, at all times in the summer. And then in the winter, we, you know, go to the golf dome and do, do what we could, to, um, you know, to, to keep the game sharp. And then it was probably, probably about 14 or 15 years old I was playing at a pretty high level of hockey in Canada and um, had to had to kind of pick between major junior a hockey and um, 
or, or going down south and, and doing something real with golf. And I always just I, I love playing the games in hockey. I love that part of it. But I practice and, and what went into to being great in hockey. I didn't love that as much as golf. I could I could spend 24 seven at a golf course in the summer and I loved every every second of it. So that was how I made my decision. And uh, my parents were credible and made some sacrifices for me to get down south and thank god i was playing in the the ajga polo event down at it was actually at disney world at the time and um i hit a hit a nice drive i think i can't remember the the hole but it's a dog leg right on that magnolia course and walked around the corner and there was coach knight standing there and um i think he said holy smokes how'd you get it way down here and um you know that's how we we were introduced and and uh, ended up playing for him, and he's been like a second dad to me ever since, so I was really lucky. And you're talking about Dwayne Knight, who, who I believe is going into his, gosh, 33rd or 34th, this is like his 30th, at least over 30 years as the head coach of the UNLV men's yeah. golf team, so he's been there forever. Um, you played there from 01 to 05. Gosh, give me, I mean, there has to be a good culture shock story from you getting from Toronto to Vegas, I mean, I, I still, whenever I hear about anyone going to school at UNLV I'm just, or, or any school in Nevada where, you know, gambling's legal and it just seems like there's no rules, and now you got to go right. to college, and then you got to be actually an athlete and, and have to do all those things. Uh, what, what's it like stepping onto campus as, what, like an 18, 19-year-old in Vegas? Yeah, well, um my, my mom, you know, I, I, I went through the, I went through the recruiting process and had some different visits and saw some really neat places. And there was just, it was, it was coach Knight That was the, he was the separator for me. I just, I met him and he was intense and he saw something in me and he believed in me. He wanted me to be there. And it just, there was something about him that drew me uh, to that program. And, um, so I asked my mom and, and dad, I said, this is, this is where I want to go and where I want to chase my dream at. And my mom was not crazy about it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, she, she didn't think that was the best idea, but she said, I'll make you a deal. If you get, uh, if you get your college degree, um, and you stay four years and you, you do a good job in school, um, I'll let you go there. So, I told Coach Knight that was the deal. That's and, a that's um, an interesting. I mean, not to that's not to steal a line from dodgeball, but that that's a bold strategy. Let's see if it works out. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, my my mom knows we're we're very very close, and she knows I wouldn't let her down. So if I I looked her in the eye and gave her my word, she she knew I'd do it. So um, that was that was uh, that was the deal, and she she let me go, and it was uh, probably the best decision I ever made in my life up to that point because there's no way that I would be uh sitting in the position I'm in right now without coach Knight in my life he was he's just been so amazing and such a great influence and I've got uh, everything to thank him for so and and that obviously I'm assuming led you into your coaching career having that such a great relationship with your college coach but before you got into coaching you played professionally I mean and and we we're definitely yep. not going to skip over uh, 2005, I guess definitely have to talk about the fact that you're a semifinalist at the U S am at Marion in Oh five. Uh, so I definitely want to hit on that, but, um, you, you played, in fact, we're going to hit on that right now. So you, you, you play, you played professionally, but before you did that, you were at the U S amateur, you, you have this incredible run where you beat Nathan Smith in, uh, I believe the round of 32, Nathan yep. Smith, four time U S mid amateur champion, 
you beat George Seringer the next round, round of 16. Um, or let's see, round of uh, – that's the quarters you beat him in. So it's Nathan Smith in the round of 16, then Zeringer in the uh, in the quarterfinals. He's a, a mid-am champion. Both were Walker Cuppers. Tell me about that run you made in the 05 USAM at Marion. It was crazy how it all happened. I hadn't I hadn't really played that well my my final year in college. Nothing special at all. Um, was actually battling to even stay in the lineup half the time. Our, our team was really, really good. We had a great freshman from Pennsylvania named Jared Texter um, who came in right away and played some great golf. And uh, Ryan Moore was on the team and Andre Gonzalez and Travis Wisman. There was a ton of really good players and I had my work cut out just, just to be in the lineup. And then uh, that summer was okay. Saw some, saw some bright spots, obviously qualified for the USAM, which is really difficult to do. So I was playing some okay golf and really luckily the week prior at the Canadian AM, I got paired in the two stroke play rounds with uh, a Canadian legend named Doug Roxborough. And Doug was a, a mentor of mine and just a great man. Uh, I, I think he's won like he's won like every Canadian AM. I think, I don't know, he's got 10 of them or something crazy. I should know that, but I don't. But anyways, Doug's a great guy, someone I truly respect. We play the two stroke play rounds together and he pulled me aside after and just said, man, I, I really like what I'm seeing with your game. I like what you're doing. Um, just keep on this track. And it just hearing that from him, Huge. someone who I respected so much, it meant everything to me. It really did. And uh, I actually lost the first round of match play in the Canadian AM that week. I lost in a playoff, I think, on the third extra hole. But I played good. And so I was going to Marion, feeling pretty good. And the first round was at um, Phil, I think it was Philly, Philly Country yeah, Club. Yeah, Philly Country Club. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And I and I played terrible. I think I can't remember what I shot seventy six or seventy seven. And uh, I had to go and face Marion the next day, and the stroke average was super high, and so the, the odds were stacked up against me. But um, dug deep, and I played one of the best rounds of my life. I still rem- remember a bunch of the bunch of the shots i was i think i was two under through 15 holes just played fantastic golf i bogeyed two of my last three but shot even par and that got me in a playoff it was a crazy playoff like a 13 for nine or 13 for 10 playoff and i remember i was i had i had to make a four footer on that little par three they have i think number 14 is that the one that nicholson airmailed in that in that yes okay (laughs) yeah and i had a four footer downhill right to left uh, for par to stay in the playoff and I made it and then made an easy par up on 15 and, uh, or 14, I guess that was 13 is the par three, 14. I made an easy par on and, uh, I was in, so I made the match play and the first round of the match play, I got, I got paired against one of my best friends, Andrew Parr, who's, uh, he's, uh, helps Texas A&M with some of their coaching. He actually just got a assistant coaching job with golf Canada right now, but played at Texas A&M great player. Uh, one of my best friends and we played in the first round and I was lucky enough to beat him. And then, um, and then Nathan in round of 32. And then I actually, it was, it was the round of 16 that I played uh, Mr. Zaringer Cause I remember he was, he was a huge name to me. Um, you know, I, uh, obviously I was a big follower of tiger and amateur golf and sure. he was Miss, Mr. USGA at the time. Um, all the Walker cups he'd played in and stuff. And, uh, so I was, I was lucky enough to get by him. I remember I putted really well against, uh, George. I, I made a, made a bunch of really good putts, probably about a, maybe a 
12 footer for par on 17 and then a eight or 10 footer for par on 18. And I needed both of those to beat him one up. So that was great. And then the round of uh, the quarterfinals, I got paired against my current assistant I, coach. I know, Mark, Mark Leon. Mark Leon. <laughs> yeah. So it was like the weirdest week ever that I kept kept playing all these guys that I knew and was close to. And Mark and I got off to a rough start. We didn't play that great through the first six or seven holes, but uh, the match really heated up around the turn and we played some great golf coming in and it was, it was super intense. And um, I was, I hit one of the best bunker shots I've ever hit in my entire life on the 17th hole. I think I was, I was one up or I might've been two up, but I hit a bunker shot to a foot uh, that kind of iced the match. Um, So I was lucky to get by Marco, who is a, a great player and, and then in, in the semifinals, I had, you know, so many family and friends down there. We stayed with the Van Arkles that week, a great family and up by Marion. And they, they hosted all of us. And it turned into a, a huge party and just one of the uh, absolutely one of the most memorable weeks of my life. And uh, and then the, the semifinals, a crazy story on its own. I It was a battle back and forth with Dylan Doherty. And I was one up with two to go. And the 17th hole at Marion's just an absolute monster of a par three. And uh, I hit a great shot down there. I think I hit a two iron to, I don't know, it's probably 20 feet from the flag, um, just on the front left fringe. And Dylan pull hooked it way up um, into the, the long rough. Uh, we, could, we couldn't even see his ball. I mean, he was toast. And uh, I, remember, I remember walking off the 17 tee after walking, watching where Dylan hit it. And oh, no, I know it's coming. I, I know it's in a coming. Great spot. You know it's coming. I said, I'm going to be playing in the Masters. Oh, sure. I, no, I knew it. 100% the thought went through my mind. What oh. a donkey I was. But uh, <laughs> sure enough, the, the golf gods struck, and Dylan took this huge swing, full swing flop. <clears throat> I'll never forget it. Landed in the rough. Bounced, one bounced out of the rough, trickled down, and like a perfectly paced putt, uh, trickled over the front edge of the hole and went in for birdie. It, I, I, I can't even explain it oh. how – unimaginable this shot that he holds was from this rough on a downhill lie and the whole thing so he uh he he won that hole i missed my my 25 footer so we went to 18 tied and then um he actually ended up hitting the nbc tv tower and got a drop and hit it from like 60 yards and one bounced off the flag down to a foot and made par and i lost i, I missed like a 10 footer so it was the most crazy fifth i went from thinking I'm going to the masters to uh, losing in literally 15 minutes and, and not really knowing what happened. So it was at this point in my life, it's I'm, I'm a long way removed from it. It's, it's one of the best memories I have because my sister and my brother and mom and dad were there and we just, we had a, we had a blast, but uh, you know, it would have, would have been nice to, to, uh, to play in the masters, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. That's uh, that. I mean, I've heard of bad beats, but uh, that's, that's pretty tough. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that one. So, do you does your does your team know about that week? And and I'm sure you, and you've had numerous different players uh, throughout the the years that you've been at the University of Florida. But does does your team know that story? And have you used that as a kind of a a, a coaching tool? Because I mean, that's I mean, if you want to talk about staying in the present, I mean, that's that's it right there. Right. Um, I I I don't talk about it very often to be. To be honest, I, th- I think it might have come up here or there. I think I think probably more with the disappointment part of it and dealing with um, 
you know, what's, what's next after something really disappointing like that happens. Um, Cause it was, it was a crazy story and it was absolutely insane what happened. And um, you know, so I I've been through, you know, uh, golf, golf is going to break your heart at some point along the line. Uh, it's going to break your heart. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I happen to be a mentor for a bunch of guys that are, that are trying to play at the highest level and, and they get their heart broken all the time. So it, the, the story does come in handy. And, you know, I remember those thoughts and feelings and at, in the moment, I know for a lot of these guys and for certainly for me at that age, I, you know, you think it's the end of the world, but you get older and you have a couple little girls and a family and, and you realize, yes, golf's extremely important, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's some there's some bigger and, and better things ahead in life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, before we talk about your uh, – I want to ask you a couple of questions about playing professionally on the Canadian Tour. But before we jump out of your amateur days, I have to ask about about Ryan Moore. You, you spend your college career with him, and, and the reason I'm asking is he had this absolutely incredible uh, amateur season. Wins, I believe, yeah. the Western Am, the US Am, the US Am Publings, all in the same year. Uh, he also won that year the World Am, uh, the I believe the Sahali Players yep. Am, the Pacific Northwest Am. He won everything. everything. Yeah. Yes. So this was, gosh, what is this, 2004, I think? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So um, I guess the question I'm asking is, you're seeing this guy in practice all the time. You're playing in college tournaments. Did you get any sort of a sense and that he was just the absolute world beater he was that year? Or was it just, hey, that that's Ryan. We He's on the team. Um, yeah, he's our number one player. But did you get a sense that he was going to be the best guy, just the best amateur in the, in the country that year? I knew it from the first second I met him. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Tell me about so, the first time you met Ryan Moore. Ryan and I were, uh, were roommates. We moved in, moved in together our freshman year at, at the Tonopah dorm at, at UNLV. And, uh, he's got a, he just has a presence about him. His, his self-confidence and self-belief, uh, is just probably second to none that I've ever seen. And, uh, you just, the first time I shook hands with them, the, the, the guy just had a, had a aura around him and a belief in himself. And he was, he was that good from our first day of school. He just, I'm, I'm surprised when I look, think back that he was a good junior player. I think he was probably a first team all American in the AJGA, but he wasn't as dominant. And I mean, from the first day of class at UNLV, this guy was unbelievable. Just, he drove it so straight. He could curve it both ways his irons were absolutely lasers and his short game was just ridiculous. He, he could get it up and down from anywhere and um, he could putt like nobody's business. And, um, you know, I think coach Knight made him even better around the greens and he just, he slowly turned into a monster. And, you know, even our first year, he was shooting 63, 64, 65 and qualifying all the time at, uh, at some pretty good golf courses out in Vegas. So we knew he was, he was really good. He was the leader of our team right away as a freshman. And then uh, he just kept getting better and better and better. And then that year, um, I think when he won, I, I literally think he went undefeated in like nine or 10 tournaments in a row. It was crazy what he did. Um, none of us on our team were surprised. It was just like, yep, that, you know, he hits it dead straight. His irons are unbelievable. He's got one of the best short games in the world and he's a great putter. And and he, and he believes he's one of the best players in the world too. So there was no weakness and uh, he just, 
superstar. Unbelievable how good he was. When you have a guy on your team that you know is your number one and you have your qualifying uh, sessions or qualifying tournaments and it's basically you're playing for four spots instead of five. Yep. Um, how is how is that relationship? What was your relationship with it with a guy that 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 is your number one and it's pretty much uh, solidified as soon as he steps on? How how was he as a teammate? I'm just kind of curious because you that could go either way. That could you could have a guy that's like on the mountaintop and he's just looking down at everyone, or is or he could be right there building up the rest of the guys on the team to to you know build up and what's best for the rebels. Yeah, I, I, you know, I look back from a, I think from a coach's perspective now, and, and I, I wish my relationship in college was better with Ryan. Um, I was, I was so selfish and, and worried about my game and what I was trying to do. And, and, and to be honest, trying to beat him. Um, I, you know, I was from a smaller town, not, not that Toronto's small, but small part of the golf world. And, right. um, I used to win a lot when I was a junior golfer. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't get beat very often. And I went to UNLV and there was this guy who was so much better than me and, uh, not sure I responded probably the best way that I could. I think it probably frustrated me, um, more than it, it should have pushed me. Um, but it just, you know, you got a reminder on a daily basis of what we all knew it. I mean, like this guy was playing on the PGA tour. You could tell it from the first time you saw him play around a golf and so from that perspective it was great you just you knew that you were stacking yourself up against what a tour player looked like and um but he was ryan was great he was he was such a great leader um we had we had some really good teams and uh, he always brought it and whether it was in qualifying or a putting contest or a chipping contest he's so competitive and or you know ping pong playing basketball whatever it was uh, he wanted to beat you. And I think um, a, a lot of those things I see in, in Ricky Castillo now playing yeah. for us, um, you know, he, he's just a uber competitor and uh, that's such a great thing for a golf team. And, and uh, I learned a lot from Ryan for sure. And uh, he was, we, we are still good buddies now and um, he's become a big Vegas golden Knights fan. So we probably talk more about hockey than, <laughs> uh, than we do about golf. But uh, I mean, what a career he's had just such a consistent, phenomenal player. And um, I'm really proud of him and happy for him. He's, he's become a great dad and has an awesome family out there in Vegas. So, um, you know, I, I, I look back on our college days as, you know, they were some of the best of my life and we, we knew we were playing with someone special. That's, that's for sure. When it comes to Ryan. That's awesome. Can you imagine if you were at UNLV when Vegas had a hockey team, I know you'd be, I, I would be a mess. Wouldn't you? I think it would all happen the way it was meant to be. Cause even when I was an assistant coach, if there was a hockey team, when I was, I, I would have been uh, distracted all the time. <laughs> so uh, spending too much time at the T-Mobile arena, watching them. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad actually the way it all worked out. So you, um, so I want to ask about, you know, being an assistant at, at UNLV under, under coach Knight. how did, how did that happen? Cause you played professionally in the Canadian tour and, yep. you know, played, I guess, oh, you know, uh, you know, three years or so on the Canadian tour. Was there a time when you were like, okay, uh, this just isn't going to be a viable long-term future for me? Or did something else come along? And I guess it's coaching, you know, kind of walk me through how coaching became a part of your life. Because, you know, it can happen in all sorts of different ways. And was it even on your radar at the time? To answer that question, I had never one day in my life up until that point thought of being a coach. I was, I was always the player 
and coaches were supposed to help me. I, I never, ever saw myself in that role. Okay. And uh, I guess it all kind of started in 2010. I was I made it through uh, the first stage of Q school, played pretty solid. And then uh, I was at second stage at uh, Deerwood in Texas. And my brother was down there caddying for me. And um, we were right on the cut line and kind of kind of knew had to make something happen. And I remember I hit one of the best six irons of my life on number 17 as part three there and made the putt and then um, hit a bad drive on 18 and had to lay it up just short of the green and the pin was all the way in the back. And I hit an unbelievable pitch to like two feet and from, from 45 yards and uh, tapped in for par. So I finished birdie par when I thought I was on the number and I, I, we thought we were good. And uh, some guys played well that day, and I ended up missing second stage by a shot. So back then, you know, if, if you made it to finals, you had a chance at the PGA Tour. And, and uh, that was, you know, that was the whole goal at that point. And that just kind of took the, the wind out of my golf sails a little bit. I was just, you know, I don't know. It's kind of a sign that m- maybe this wasn't for me. And right. So that, that winter I was, I was still planning to, to go and play golf and, and maybe chase some web.com tour Mondays corn Ferry now, but, um, it, you know, uh, I was in Toronto in February and I was helping out, uh, one of my buddies, Kevin Cooper. Um, he's a in, uh, broker and I was helping him trying to, trying to make a little bit of money on the side. And I was walking in the subway in Toronto and coach Knight called me and, what the heck is he calling me for? He's supposed to be in Hawaii right. at the, in the John Burns. So I pick it up. Hey coach, what's going on? And he said, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm at the Burns in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, I always have good memories of you and I here, but, uh, I got something more important to, to call you about. And I said, well, shoot, what's going on? Is everything okay? And he said, yeah. Uh, Darren Dorsey, who was his assistant at the time, uh, had made a decision to go back to being a lawyer, to get back into the law industry. And, he said, I, I think you'd be a great assistant coach. Do you want to, do you want to come and do it for me? And I remember I said, coach, are you sure? I, I've, I've never thought of coaching in my life. He said, well, why don't, you know, it's February. You only got a couple months left in the year. Why don't you come and try it and we'll see how it goes and, and we'll go from there. So I thought about it for the weekend and, and I, you know, the, my bank account was extremely empty at the time. Yeah. I, I just, I hadn't made much money playing golf and, it, it was, uh, you know, a, a way to make some money and stay in the game. I thought, shoot, I could, I can still practice and play against the guys. This is perfect. So said yes and got to the border and I got turned down, um, by the border agent. I'll never forget it. And, um, he said, I can let you go to, let you go to, uh, into the States because you have a visa. I think I was on a P one or whatever it is, a professional golfers on, I can't remember at the time. So I could go, but he said, you can't take that job. We need, this and this and this information. So I called coach and he was running all over campus and uh, Chris Kane from the PGM department really helped, helped us get some stuff together. And um, we, we put the whole package together. I went back the next day, you know, thinking, geez, this position I was so excited about is on the line. And lucky enough, I, I got a, a great agent and, and they, uh, they understood the job a little bit better and sent me on my way. So I drove all the way from Toronto to, to Las Vegas and, um, and literally probably four days into the job, I just fell in love with it, loved it. And, uh, I remembered how awesome college golf is, what, what a great experience it is to be on a team, to have guys like that. And then all of a sudden I got to 
you know, kind of help them and, and be a leader for them. And that was what an amazing gift and opportunity that is to, um, to get and coach, you know, coach Knight is he's, I, you know, I don't even know how to describe him on something like this. He's, he's the salt of the earth. He is the most wonderful human being you could ever imagine. Uh, he's, he's morals and the way he does things are perfect. Uh, he, he's kind hearted and he, he works hard and he does things the right way. And, uh, I just realized, man, I, I need to be around someone like this, whether, you know, I'm going to get into coaching or not, you know, this is a great person to, to follow and, and to be with. And he taught me so much and kind of, you know, just put me on my way. And he gave me a lot of leeway to, to run some things in recruiting and run our foundation. And he really trusted me. And, uh, we got a, got a big break with, uh, with Derek Castillo committing to us back in, back in the day at UNLV. And, um, he kind of opened the door to California for us. And then, we got John Oda and Shintaro Bon and some of these great players. And, uh, you know, my career just kind of took off from there. Thanks to, thanks to coach Knight's trust. And, and then, uh, I guess three and a half years later, uh, got a chance to interview at Florida and here we are. So let me ask you this, you start as an assistant. What were some of the things that you had to learn quickly? Cause it's one thing to be, Hey, I get to practice. I'm around the guys. And, you know, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm a, you know, I'm the sixth or seventh year senior. I'm the Van Wilder of the golf program, but you know, obviously it's a job. So what were the things that you had to learn pretty quickly from, from coach Knight on, okay, you know, this, you, you can make this a career if you do, you know, X, Y, and Z. So that's why he was so great. He kind of, he kind of tossed it all in my lap and said, I want you to figure this out. And he said, the one thing you cannot mess with is our foundation. So he said, if anything comes up with the rebel golf foundation, you make sure it's done. You make sure it's done on time and you keep, you keep our members happy. So he, he laid the law down about that. So that was, but it was such a gift that he did that for me looking back because I got to meet everyone in the city. I mean, the people that coach Knight has got involved um, with the rebel golf foundation and that are on his board are some of the most unbelievable and influential people in that city. And uh, so I got to meet all them, develop a relationship, learn from them, how they do their job well, what advice they had for me. So that was that was the game changer for me was was being around those people and getting that type of advice. And, um, you know, Dan Albrecht was a lawyer out there who took me under his wing and Tom Jingoli, who works for Konami Gaming, uh, is still one of my best friends in the world today. He you know, he was just instrumental in, in me maturing and growing up and learning how to, to lead kids. And, um, so it was so much outside of the golf program that helped me. And that, that's what makes Vegas such a, such a neat city is, is everyone, uh, is behind UNLV, especially that golf program, man, there's so many people that it's really important to and, and pull for it. And uh, it was special to be a part of that again. And But recruiting couldn't have been too hard. All you got to do is bring these kids in, take them to casinos, <laughs> go to showgirls, and, you know, maybe take – I mean, really, that's all you got to do, right? Well, it's – I don't – I think the recruiting the kids to UNLV is super easy. It's it's making sure mom and dad are okay uh, with yeah. dropping – so who? Yeah. So give me a, give me a good story about a mom and dad that you really had to work some work really hard on. I mean, I'm sure. Oh that- my gosh! <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Once, once, once we got Derek Castillo to commit, that that was that was a game changer for us. I think he just added a lot of credibility. He's got a great mom and dad who are both school teachers, and they they trusted Coach Knight and I with with their son and 
uh, Derek was just a really well-liked and popular kid in California golf. And that, that opened the door. And I mean, you look at John Oda, John's dad, Jay, uh, was I think an accountant, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, but he's just a amazing, very straightforward, pretty strict guy. Um, super guy, one wonderful dad, but very, very, uh, by the book. And, um, we got John to come to UNLV so that when that happened and, uh, John, John's one of the nicest, most proper young men you'll ever meet. But I knew once we got him, he was a super player and a good kid. And he wanted to come to Vegas and wasn't afraid of the city. And obviously you look at John's UNLV career, it was just phenomenal. So that, that worked out really well. And it just, it's, it's, it's an easy place to sell. You got, you got Southern Highlands and you got Shadow Creek and, you know, Taylor Montgomery played there. His dad, Monty's the director of golf out at Shadow. And there's a great connection between UNLV and there. And um, it's a great place to go to school. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, there's zero surprise that Coach Knight has been able to build the, the powerhouse that he has. Yeah. So you spend a handful of years there at Vegas, and then you get your shot to come interview for the uh, the head coaching job at uh, the University of Florida, which is where you've been for, uh, for gosh, since what, 2013, 2014 is when you get that job? Yeah, I can't believe this is this is my sixth year here now. It's unbelievable. For for someone, and, and you actually, you know, we're going to talk about, um, you know, John Handrigan, who is your assistant, who is now uh, the head coach at Notre Dame. Had him yep. on a podcast uh, uh, several weeks ago, but um, what's that interview like when you go sit down to try and get a a D one position um, for? The, I mean, now was this your first time interviewing for a D one job? Yes, it was. Um, I uh, Tim Tim Mickelson uh, a year or maybe two years prior uh, had some interest in in bringing me in and offered offered me the assistant coach job at ASU to come work with him and. That was that was a great experience to go through talking talking with Tim through that and then uh, JT Higgins at Texas A and M I I still owe him to this day he got me a really nice raise at UNLV because uh, <laughs> he, he 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 came in and gave me a really nice offer and kind of forced Coach Knight's hands to uh, to give me a raise um, that I needed at the time but uh, um, so I had I hadn't you know officially interviewed but I. I had met some great coaches and, and had some great experience through those two. And then um, when the Florida job came open, I, when I first heard that buddy was retiring, I, I didn't really think that I had any chance. You know, we, we had a, we had some good teams at UNLV and um, I, I was hopeful. It was always, you know, the number one job on my list that I would ever have a chance at. And um, I made some calls and, just I got some great advice and I remember Chandler Withington who's uh he's now the head pro at Hazeltine in, in Minnesota there he gave me some unbelievable interviewing advice he had he had interviewed at some some big golf courses to 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 get the head pro job a couple times and he learned a lot through that and Chandler gave me some some advice that I'll never forget and then uh give me an example best- give me an example of one of the things he gave you advice on because uh, so I- one of the one, yeah one of the things Chandler uh asked me to do was um i can't remember the name of the company that makes it but i I made i guess like a a resume picture book essentially is what it is of my time at unlv and it had a had a bunch of pictures um from my experiences from day one to everything that i learned about the team and coaching and the rebel golf foundation and um had a little bit about my family in there and so i i wrote up a bunch and put some pictures in there and um, that was kind of a big part of my resume and, 
And then uh, Chuck Hazard, uh, who was my best friend in Las Vegas at the time, uh, his wife, Tina, and I played college golf at UNLV together. And um, Chuck and I became good buddies. He played baseball at the University of Florida. So okay. he, he had a ton of ties here. And he made a bunch of phone calls for me. And between Chuck and Jim Livengood and, and a bunch of different people who called, I got, got my foot in the door and I was one of six uh, coaches to get an interview. And man, I, I remember I was super nervous coming here, but when I landed um, and my, my direct boss now, Mike Spiegler, who's the associate athletic director here, he took me out to dinner and we went to bonefish grill and we sat down and started talking about the team and, the scholarships and what everything was looking like and what my plan was and what I wanted to do. I was just like, man, I got to get this job. Like this is, <laughs> this is where I need to be. I have to, I have to do this. I want this so bad. And um, I, I got up the next morning and put, put my suit on. I think, I think that helped, you know, I was, I was a young guy, uh, the youngest one of any 31, I think I was uh, 30 or 31 and youngest of any of the, the people they were volunteering. So I knew, or interviewing, sorry. So I knew I needed to, to look good and make sure my, I was really presentable. I, you know, put on the best suit I had and wore a tie and, um, try, tried to look older than I was, I guess. There you go. And, uh, I met everyone the next day and I really hit it off with Jeremy Foley. He, uh, he was, he's, you know, in my eyes, he's, he's the greatest athletic director that college sports has ever seen. And he's an amazing human being and has become such a huge piece of my life and, and mentor for me now. But uh, we hit it off, and he's a competitor like me. And um, I think I got lucky because Billy Donovan, um, you know, I think of so many different coaches, Tim Walton, Urban Meyer, uh, so many great coaches, Brian Shelton, Roland Thornquist. These, you know, some you may not have heard of, but these guys were young, kind of unheard of coaches at the time. Yeah, that that's – yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that. You're right. There's, so Donovan was was there playing, coaching basketball. And, uh, yes. So, yeah, that, that does make sense. So, Jeremy – you know, Urban Jeremy Meyer, took a, yeah, Urban, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so Jeremy took a shot on these young, unknown, unheard of guys. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of fit that mold a little bit. And uh, it just – I think it, it was all meant to be and, and super lucky. And it's it's been the, the greatest opportunity I've ever been given in my life. I, I love this job so much. If UF is listening to this podcast, that's good news for them. So um, <laughs> were you aware of what kind of a UF golf family you were kind of jumping into? Because I know that your alumni for that team are, are, are very well um, – involved in the program and truthfully i think we spoke about this before uh, we started recording this episode but um, of all the universities where i've had guests whether it's a former player current player current coach or, or anyone by far and away i think the most uh representatives from any university is the university of florida uh, i think we we went through the list of uh, this is yeah i mean over 100 episodes i've done and i think at least 10 have gone to uf so I could just go down the list of names and see if you got a see if you got a story. But before I do that, what was your first kind of introduction to what it meant to be involved in Gators golf? To be honest, I think I think when they announced that I was going to be the next coach, there was a lot of people that were like, "Who, who, the, who in the hell is the world is this guy?" Um, no one knew who I was. They didn't have any reason to know who I was, and. Uh, I think a lot of people were, were caught pretty off guard. So 
Um, that, that helped me though. It, it put a little chip on my shoulder. I remember reading some, some tweets and some different stuff on social media that were kind of saying what, what in the heck are they thinking? And, um, so I remember that really motivated me, but everyone at Florida was amazing. Um, I remember I spoke to Matt every, who I grew up playing golf with. Um, he, we were pretty close to the same age. He sent me a awesome message and, and text just saying that, you know, he'd be super supportive. And if I ever needed any help, he'd be there. And then that's just continued. Um, Gary Coke, um, geez, I, I, you go down the list, Chris DeMarco. Um, it's, it's just been unbelievable. All these guys who have come back and, and the biggest one he's, he's currently on our website right now, um, is Dudley Hart and Dudley had a yeah. unbelievable PGA tour career. He's still a, a PGA champions tour member and Dudley's our volunteer assistant coach. And he, uh, spends countless, uh, weekends with us working with the guys. He's got one of the best short games I've ever seen. And he's around almost full time to, to help the guys groove their short games while they're here in college. And, um, his son, Ryan actually is, uh, signed an NLI and coming to play for us, uh, starting in August. And he's turning into a heck of a little player. He actually, uh, won a moonlight event last week. So he's, he's really turning into something, but, um, like you said, the, the alumni has just been absolutely incredible and supportive and uh we're you know we've we've really tried to get everyone involved and um you know we got billy horschel who's out on the the pga tour he's a he's a walking gator he's always wearing a hat or t-shirt and he's he's one of the most passionate guys you've ever seen when it comes to uh to the florida gators so i've been really really lucky to to be a small part of it and hopefully we're going to give these guys lots to be proud of here in the next few years so the one, one I forgot, oh, sure. Steve Melnick has, I totally, I blanked on that, but Steve has just been, uh, incredible to me. He's, Mr. Melnick and his family are just the, the best people. And he's been super supportive and gone out of his way to do a lot of, a lot of special stuff for us. So he, I, I'd, uh, never want to leave him out. He's a absolute legend. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> one of the, okay. So, but one of the, I mean, you've had all these great things, at the University of Florida, these fantastic teams, players, and a lot of success. Um, but obviously, the the um, reality of the coronavirus that has occurred put an end to the NCAA season, put an end to your season. And I have to ask, how do you how do you talk to your team about that? How how did you communicate that to your team when uh, when everything was happening? Well, it's it's different these days because sometimes I feel like. Um, our guys are more, are more informed than we are because of social media. So I don't think there was like one day where I had more information than everyone else and, and knew something that they didn't. I think, um, the guys kind of saw the writing on the wall happening slowly, but surely I think when, um, the NBA came down and suspended their season, that was, that was kind of like the moment, like, Oh crap. Like this is, this is not good. Just a matter of time. Yeah. And you know, Blake, Blake Dyer and John Axelson, they're the, the two that it really breaks my heart for Blake. Uh, Blake's been here for five years. He was a fifth year senior. Um, he's battled his entire career to get in the lineup, his entire career. He's never had a clear path in the lineup. And he just, he had two top fives over the Christmas break in the new year's invitational in the Orlando am. And he came right in and played good. And he was in our lineup from the sea best had his best ever college finish at the Gator and played unbelievable 
in Las Vegas, you know, two weeks ago in our last event. And he was just hitting his stride and uh, been working with Jeff Smith, who's an unbelievable coach. And Blake's just sacrificed so much to, to get to this point and to finally start being, you know, a contributor on the road. And uh, for him to have to see it end like this is, is just heartbreaking and, and unfair. But, uh, and, and the other one's John Axelson. John's played, I think John's missed two events his entire career. Uh, one wow. was for the World Am uh, last year when uh, John and the Hogard brothers won the World Am for Denmark. And the other one was uh, the Nike Collegiate two years ago. John walked in my office and said, look, coach, I'm not playing good enough. And I don't think I deserve to go to the tournament. It was it was unbelievable when he said that. And uh, the next week he actually finished. I think he finished second or third at Isleworth. So he knew something we didn't know. But uh uh, John just poured his heart and soul into our program. He's an amazing young man. He's, he's like a little brother to me. And we spent a, spent a ton of time together on the road. And John was always really interesting because, uh, he, he rarely just took what you said and ran with it. He questioned you a lot and he wanted to know why. And he made me such a better coach spending three years with him because, if I ever said something to John, I, I better be prepared to have a long drawn out conversation because he wasn't <laughs> just going to take it at face value. So um, he's turning pro um, after his junior year and he has the prettiest golf swing I've ever seen. And he is going to make a lot of money playing golf. Well, we'll need to keep an eye on those guys. Um, we've talked a lot about your coaching, but let's at least give you a little bit of pub here as the 2017 Florida open champion. You still can golf your own ball. I'm not going to walk you through the entire uh, tournament. You, you picked up that win at black diamond ranch, but um, let's see, do your players know who their coach is? that he's the Florida open champion in 2017? <laughs> what was, what was that like when you come back to campus with a trophy and a check saying, uh, yeah, guys, I can, uh, I still know what I'm doing. Yeah. They, that team, I was really, really close with a bunch of the guys on, on our 2017 team. And they were very, very excited and pumped for me when I won that. Um, all my guys know, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm too competitive uh, my, my competitiveness probably gets the best of me sometimes, but, uh, I, I can't give it up and I, you know, I don't get to practice as much as I used to, but I get to watch a lot and I get to learn from some of the best players in the world that, that are on our team on a daily basis. So that's, that's the one thing I learned, I think more than ever from coaching is you can just sit back and watch some of the best players in the world and see what they do well, see what they could do better. And that makes you a better golfer on your own. You don't just have to be out on the range or the short game area working on it. You can learn so much in this game from watching. Um, and that's, that's what I've done. I, I got to Florida and got to spend a lot of time with Sam Horsfield and Andy Zhang and Alejandro Tosti and John Axelson and now Ricky Castillo. It's, it's, you know, learning from these guys, it, it makes it easy. And um, I've, I've never lost the competitiveness. Um, we have a great strength and conditioning program here. So uh, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life and my body feels better than it's ever, ever has. So there's no reason why uh, I, I should slow down. And hopefully um, with golf going forward, if everything comes back to normal, that uh, I can I can get in the mix in another Florida Open. I'd love to, to try and do it again. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some names there. I didn't. I didn't want to skip over some of the questions I have about recruiting. You know, you pick up Sam Horsfield, who just was a, a world beater at Florida, and then uh, you know, gosh, he's playing the European Tour, or he's, you know, I know he's 
originally from from England. I know he's got that close relationship with Poulter, but can you just briefly walk me through kind of something you look for when you're recruiting a player? Yeah. So Sam was super easy. Um, John Handrigan and, and Buddy Alexander had had done all the hard work, and and Sam was already committed to the University of Florida when I got the job. And I just literally had to convince Sam and his family that uh, I was I was the right guy. And even though Buddy wasn't going to be here, that I was still in good hands. And I remember literally the first day I was allowed to go see him. It was July 1st. Um, I don't know what that was, 2014, I guess. Uh, I drove up to Orlando and I had a meeting with with Sam and his parents and uh, his coach, Jason Bell. And man, we just we hit it off immediately. And I knew that the family was going to be a lifelong friend and that I was going to have an unbelievable relationship with Sam. And, and he's, I'm still so close with him. We, we talk on a weekly basis. He's, he's all over the world now, but uh, we, we catch up constantly and, um, you know, talk about our addiction to Nike shoes, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's another story. But uh, you know, I, Sam was the easy one. Um, Andy was a little more difficult. I think, uh, you know, he had, he had the pick of the litter, whichever school he wanted to go to. I think he was being an offered a scholarship too. Um, and I had some, I had some, you know, convincing to do there. I spent a lot of nights on the phone with Andy, um, you know, trying to make sure he realized that Florida was the best place for him. And, um, that's another one. I just, I'm, I am so grateful for the relationship I have with him. It's still really strong and we talk all the time and he's a huge supporter of the program and he came here and, he was an SEC champion, and that's that's the opportunity you have at Florida. You got a chance to to play under the the bright lights and and uh, a chance to be in the middle of the the biggest action of college golf. And Andy took full advantage of it. And uh, so we just, you know, I think you you to come to Florida, you've obviously got to play at a certain level. You got to got to be a really good player. And then uh, we just really try to protect our culture. We have uh, an unbelievably hardworking group. Who respects each other and pushes each other and motivates each other in a positive way and okay, so it's fun to be around and we're we're seeing stories like blake dyer who are you know they they take longer to develop but it's happening and uh, i'm i'm really proud of his story as much as i am of of sam making the european tour right out of school or gordon neal making the web.com finals right out of school last year there's you know alejandro toasty won on the PGA Tour Latino America last year so there's there's so many great things happening with with our alumni here but uh um you know our our culture comes first and our family comes first and all our guys know that well um what else should we talk about um you know what I'd I'd love to uh to talk about Handrigan for a second sure you got a good Handrigan story I, I think the best Handrigan story I have is uh so I, I get the job. I, Jeremy Foley calls me and tells me I've got it. I, I, John's from Canada. So we knew of each other, but we weren't, we weren't friends at the time. And I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I'm, this is my first head coaching job. And um, I, I don't know if John's the right guy to be the assistant or someone else. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of different people. I'm getting calls of people that are interested in coming to work with me. And, and you've probably um, never had to hire anyone in your life. No, absolutely not. I've, I've been begging other people for jobs, let alone ever hiring someone. So, um, so I get down here to Gainesville and I think John had been hearing a million different rumors of, you know, JC's going to hire this guy or this and that. So his life is all in uncertain terms. I think there was some other schools trying to hire him away. 
Um, and we went to dinner at Ember's Steakhouse and uh, we sat there for, I don't know, it had to be three and a half or four hours and uh, just hashed the whole thing out. And I remember leaving there thinking, man, how lucky am I to have this guy? He's, uh, he's just so organized, so dedicated. His, his wife, Lee, is just amazing. They've become uh, some of my wife, Jessica, and I's best friends in the world. And um, John was just a superstar, and it was evident from day one. And we made a deal. And, uh, you know, the, I think the recruiting that we did together for those uh, three years speaks for, speaks for itself. And he, uh, he absolutely helped, helped me get this program off the ground and um, get it going. And, and uh, look what he's doing at Notre Dame now. They, they just had the best year in program history for them. And yeah. they were the talk of the town after the fall. And zero surprise, this guy's a relentless worker, loves his kids, love, loves his job. And, uh, I'm so, so happy for him. He's, he's literally one of the, one of the best people I've ever met. Yeah, no, I was really impressed when I spoke with him. He, um, he's doing a, he's, that, that's going to be really interesting to see that program. And also all the trips, those, those guys take for their practice sessions. I, uh, yeah. that's a little, little annoying, but it was really, oh, it was good, to, good to uncover, but I was like, come on, man, you can't talk about taking your guys down to Seminole and, and, and Augusta National. So you've spoken highly about uh, Coach Knight at UNLV. You've spoken highly about Buddy Alexander, your, uh, your AD at Florida, your team, former players. Everyone's awesome, but, <laughs> but everyone's great. you got great things to say about everyone. Give me an embarrassing story about yourself. I can't just let you give a positive uh, infomercial, uh, you, know, deck, you know, speaking about all the great, great things in your life. you got to – you can't be this clean. There has to be something embarrassing, something funny. We try to embarrass the guests a little bit here. That way the listener can kind of, you know, form a little bit of a connection and say, oh, yeah, I've done that bonehead thing too. And the good to know that, that a guy that's running one of the, the, the top D1 programs in the country did that also. Okay. I don't, I don't know why this is so strange that this story came to my head when you just started describing what you wanted to hear. But here you go. This is the super random story from my pro career, but uh, pretty embarrassing to say the least. There you go. Um, uh, so first round out in, uh, I was tournament in Saskatoon at this casino golf course. Great links course. Awesome, awesome spot. Wonderful tournament on the, on the Canadian tour and uh, didn't play great the first round. And uh, I think I shot 72 or 73. And the second round I had, uh, the best round of my pro career to date, I shot 63 on Friday and uh, obviously got to be, I think I was in the second last group and um, you know, the, the tournament's really well attended and there's, there's a, you know, the local, uh, the locals love it and, and support it really well. So there's a bunch of people around the first tee on Saturday um, when I'm teeing off for, for my first time in one of the, the final groups and I'm nervous and uncomfortable. And so there's this huge group of people and they announce me and I uh, get up on the tee and I got a three wood and I block it. Right. Okay. No, not, not that big a deal. Um, but we don't get a, don't get a safe sign. So I'm, I'm thinking, geez, the grass is long down there. I don't want to walk back in front of all these people. I'm going to hit a provisional. Right. So I whispered over to the starter who obviously hadn't had a ton of experience um, in golf, but I said, Hey, sir, just so you know, I'm going to hit a, hit a provisional real quick. And he announces in front of 500 people, excuse me, 
Mr. Deacon is now going to hit a provisional. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> he he announced it louder and more vigorously than he did my name in the first place. And I couldn't have been feeling more shame walking off that first tee after I dribbled that provisional down there. So that's the um, best. I wasn't expecting <laughs> that. So how what how did that provisional? I mean, more nervous over the provisional than any any tee shot in, in your life. Well, I think I just was so embarrassed, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just did that, That's... that I didn't even think about the shot. And I, I think I ended up finishing fourth that week. So I, I played fine and got over that moment. But that was that was the most embarrassed I ever was in my professional career, for sure. That's fantastic. Did you have to play? Yeah. The, did you have to play the provisional? <laughs> No, I found my first ball. I didn't even need it. I know. Oh, that's even How about better. that? That's even better. I know. Oh, my gosh. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I know it's under very odd circumstances, not just in the golf world and collegiately and in just everything. So I, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me. And, and hopefully when things get uh, back to normal, we can uh, talk about uh, next year's team and your run for a national championship. But, uh, Coach, thanks for coming on the back of the range, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Pleasure to be on the back of the range. You're a, you're a good man and love what you're doing for golf. And uh, my pleasure to be on here and just wishing uh, safety and, and health for everyone to, to get through this time and hopefully get back to, uh, to doing what we all love. And there you have it. Special thanks to J.C. Deacon, head golf coach at the University of Florida, for joining us in this episode. Don't forget, we have episodes every day this week. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode, if you need to get caught up, every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you tomorrow for another episode here at The Back of the Range.